I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. Welcome back to Align Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. Today's tremendous episode is with my friend, Miss Emily Fletcher. Emily is world-renowned meditation teacher. She's the founder of Ziva Meditation and writer of the recently published book, Stress Less, Accomplish More. It's her guide on how to integrate effective meditation into your life and why the heck that matters. Thanks so much for tuning in the website, alignpodcast.com, A-L-I-G-N podcast.com. On there, I highly recommend y'all get started with the five-day movement challenge. People have been digging that. Five simple videos, breaks down, five fundamental things that I think everybody ought to have in their daily life for optimal movement function. I got to stop using optimal, that word. It's one of those buzzwords. Anyways, buzzwords, not good. Um, So thanks so much for checking that thing out. It really will optimize your shit though. Um, And thank you so much to Ned for supporting this podcast. Ned is a, I think it's one of the highest quality CBD oils that you will find. Um, they're great. They're all from a single source in Colorado. That's all cold extracted. Um, it comes from a company and a culture that actually gives a damn, which is great. And uh, you can get yourself 15% off. So you go to helloned.com slash align, A-L-I-G-N. 15% off on your first purchase. I hope y'all enjoy that stuff. I've been taking it each morning. I quite enjoy it. Keep it under my tongue. Take a little walk. It's nice. Um, 15% off. HelloNed.com slash line. Uh, all right. This was recorded in LA while Emily was visiting. And um, I really enjoyed this conversation. I really dig and appreciate Emily's existence in the world. I hope you guys do too. Here we go. Back to the show. Pow. Align Podcast. So, so essentially, the podcast started. Great. <laughs> I mean, guys, my hair looks amazing. You look good. <laughs> I'm looking great. All right, so but I've got that's a face a, that's, for radio. That's something that very few people. That's not true. That's something very few people probably do, and most people, even they do, are probably like, "Why the hell am I doing this?" Oil pulling or tongue scraping? Both. Okay, so the tongue scraping <laughs> I get because your body produces something called ama. It's like an Ayurvedic medicine. We call it ama, A M A, not A M M A, not the not hugging, the hugging guru. Okay. Um, a M A, and it's basically like anytime you eat food after eating food, anytime you eat food that is not food. If you eat food too close to bed, um, then your body produces ama, which is P.S. Like all Americans do all the time, mm. and it's just toxins released from your body in your mouth overnight and you got to scrape that stuff out because if you don't do it in the first like three to five minutes then your body re-ingests it mm. Mm. what's the problem with re-ingesting it well then you just have to like your liver has to detoxify it it comes out in your skin it's just we want to be like getting rid of that gunk what about the oil pulling I got no science on oil pulling. I got nothing. <laughs> I, I know that everybody says to do it. And I, I, do. I even do it. And I yeah. feel better about myself when yeah, I do I it. And I got no science for you. <laughs> All right. That's okay. What else? Any other morning stuff? You meditate in the morning. Yep. So wake up on a good day. I'll oil pull, brush my teeth. Well, I just lied. I tongue scrape and then brush my teeth. Good. I appreciate that. Then I will have water. Retro honesty. And then I will nurse my son and then I will meditate Mm. when my mom comes over. What does meditation look like? Uh, Just sitting on my bed, 
pillows behind my back oh. about 20 minutes. All right. Mm-hmm. Could you define the, what's the, and we'll get into all like the, the, you know, about you and all that stuff. I promise this is all over the place, but the difference between like a Ziva meditation versus a Zen meditation versus a mindfulness meditation versus all like, there's all these words and I think it's mm-hmm. confusing. It is confusing. And it's only going to get more and more confusing because people are starting to get into it as a business and a brand. So everyone's going to start branding their own meditation styles. And so if you thought it was confusing before, get ready because it's about to get a lot more confusing. Uh, But so Zen is Zen. It's like it's like a Japanese interpretation of things that were born out of India. You've got mindfulness meditation, which is the art of bringing your awareness into the present moment. Uh, Ziva meditation, we actually teach a trifecta of mindfulness, meditation and manifesting. Mm -hmm. And so the mindfulness we use is like a runway as an appetizer into the main course that is meditation. And then the dessert course is the manifesting. And so mindfulness is all about the art of bringing your awareness into the present moment. It's very good at dealing with your stress in the now. And that's what most of the apps are out there. Most of the YouTube videos, most of the like drop-in studios, they're teaching what I would call mindfulness. Anytime someone's guiding you through something, I'm putting that in the category of mindfulness because you're directing your focus. It's more of a left brain waking state activity. Now, the type of meditation that I teach at Ziva it's all about letting go. It's all about surrendering. It's all about inducing very deep healing rest, rest that's actually five times deeper than sleep. And when you give your body that deep healing rest, it can heal itself not only from the stress in the now, but all that stress from the past that we've been accumulating in our bodies. And it is that eradication of the backlog of stresses that's ultimately ushering us into higher states of consciousness and cognitive performance. And really our whole gig at Ziva is that we're meditation for better performance. Like I believe that we meditate to get good at life, not to get good at meditation. Mm -hmm. And then the manifesting piece is really like you spending the time to visualize what you want your life to look like. It's you asking better questions. Like, what does my dream job look like? What does my dream relationship look like? What's my dream relationship with my body? Instead of, why did she get a raise and I didn't? Why can't I lose this weight? Why is my boyfriend a dick? You know, if you ask like shitty questions, you're going to get shitty answers. And that's what most people are doing, even if they think they're manifesting or praying even. Sometimes they're just complaining. And so it's training people how to visualize their goals as if they're happening now. It's consciously creating a life you love. Hmm. Where did you see yourself five years ago? Or six years. You started. You said Ziva started in in 2015. Well, so I went full. I went full time in 2015. I had been working on Ziva part time since 2011. Is this where you saw yourself in 2011? Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. working. <laughs> I mean, in a roundabout way, but like I knew I'd have a book. I knew I'd go on speaking tours. I knew I'd be on TV shows. Like I knew, I knew all that would happen, but I've known that since I was like seven or eight, I knew I'd be an actress. And then I knew I would be speaking in front of large groups of people, helping them. Hmm. Were there any specific stumbling blocks along the way? (laughs) A lot. All right. Yeah. Any examples that stand out? Uh, in, in which, in meditation time? No, no, the vision of creating this, this, um, you know, the, the book and the, and the, and the the courses and and where you're at now. It seems like where you're at now is like, uh, it seems like you've arrived to some degree. I know there's no such thing as arriving anywhere, but 
Yeah, it feels like there was a massive transition that happened actually two weeks ago, like on February 19th, on the date that the book was released. And I don't know how hippy-dippy your audience is, but Pretty it was like the it was the fullest full moon in 70 years. Okay. And actually, get ready, everybody. It was my astrologer. I have this Vedic astrologer who, that's why the book was launched on the date that it was launched, because it was like a full moon in virgo or something i don't know i'm not really big into astrology but i trust this guy and um he was like he gave me insight on the title of the book and the date of the book and he was like this particular day is like things shift for you like all the seeds you've been planting your whole life like they start to mm. they start to come into fruition and it feels like that it feels like there's been a phase transition in the past two weeks tell me more what's what's how, how does one why uh, I just feel like I don't have to work so hard. I feel like my whole oh, life yeah. I've been proving and look how smart I am and look how talented I am and I'm working so much harder than I needed to work. And now I feel like I'm trusting much more and allowing much more. And um, it just feels like this lifetime of skill accumulation is starting to culminate into this bigger mission that I'm here to be on. Yeah. Do you feel like you could have trusted the whole time and you would have arrived in the same place with less friction? Or do you think there's something to friction? I mean, I believe that philosophically, intellectually and philosophically. <laughs> that's what you tell people. Yes, that's what it's I tell like people. Oh. Yeah, that's totally. <laughs> but no one actually does that. I a thousand percent teach what I need to hear. It's just surrender. I teach everyone to surrender because I need it the most. Uh. I'm like the most controlling. I would call myself a recovering control freak. Yeah. And I go in varying stages of recovery. Yeah. Uh, but I'm so controlling. Like if I could make everyone meditate, I would. But I can't do it. Where do people start with meditation? What's like a reasonable place to start that they'd actually continue doing it the thing about meditation is that it's not about building up it's it's really not like it's not like oh i'll just do two minutes or i'll do two deep breaths it's like sure that's better than having a shot of tequila but it's not meditation it's like that's called breathing right and so everyone's trying to give everyone's trying to ask me to give them like the least amount that they can do. And it's not about least amount. It's about finding the type that is right for you. Mm -hmm. And if you find that, then the return on investment is exponential. And then there is no resistance to doing it. But if you're doing a meditation that isn't giving you more time in your day, then it is a waste of time. And then they're like, well, I'll just do two minutes. And you're constantly negotiating with the amount of minutes of meditation that you're doing. That's just because you're most likely trying to do mindfulness, which is originally designed for a monk, instead of doing meditation as we teach at Ziva, which was designed for people with busy minds and busy lives. Mm. How, so how do you, so define meditation then, the difference between mindfulness, monkness versus meditation, Ziva? So my mindfulness, again, the art of bringing awareness into the present moment, more directing your focus. This type of meditation is all about letting go. It's all about surrendering. It's all about inducing deep healing rest. Mm. It's not about focusing. It's not about clearing your mind. It's not about concentration. There's no uncomfortable postures. There's no fancy fingers. It looks kind of like a nap sitting up. And in it, you're actually de-exciting the nervous system, you're decreasing your metabolic rate, your heart rate slows, your body temperature cools, and all of that is giving you that deep rest. It's like you, when you de-excite something, you create order, and when you create order in your body, that lifetime of stresses that's been stored in our cellular memory can start to come up and out, and it is that backlog of stresses from our past that's making us stupid, sick, and slow as a species, and so if you do this thing, you're so much more awake, you're so much more creative, you're so much more innovative on the other side that you really see a return on the time investment, and then it's like, of course I'm going to do this thing. Mm. You incorporate breath stuff into it, and you kind of like... Occasionally I will like I, if I'm doing like a corporate talk like today I gave a talk at a corporation and I will use breath 
because I can't teach a full meditation class in an hour because my class is, my in-person class is 10 hours long. Because one thing that's unique about Ziva is that we train people to be self-sufficient, right? So it's, I give you the keys to the car, I give you the driving instructions, and then you don't need me ever again. Um, same with our online course. It's like, you get the keys, you get the driving instructions, and you're good. You don't need an app, you don't need finger symbols, you don't need incense, you can just do it wherever, whenever. Planes, trains, kids screaming in the next room, in your office. Um, but if I am teaching and I have like an hour, but they want me to do something, they don't, they don't want me to just talk about the neuroscience. They want me to actually give them some sort of an experience. And so in those cases, I will use the breath because it's just a fast way in for people that don't know how to meditate. Yeah. Is there anything that stands out for you presently that's like a challenge in your life? Sure. Oh, convenient. <laughs> Sometimes people say no. I'm like, really? You're like, you liar. Liar. You're a liar. What's going on? <laughs> uh, I mean, there's some stuff that... I don't really want to talk about, but the challenges okay. that I can talk about uh, would be, I mean, look, having a baby and launching a book and running a seven figure business is a fucking challenge. I wondered about that. <laughs> like it's a lot. I'm also <laughs> I'm under stress writing a book. I, I like surf and like do hot <laughs> yoga. Like not enough. Yeah. It's a lot. Like I don't recommend <laughs> launching a book and a baby in the same year. It's really not a good plan. All right. Um, but, and I'm also nursing. So just cause everyone's like, Oh, you're breastfeeding. But like, just to like contextualize that for people who are not currently nursing, that means that you have to be in the same geographic location as your baby every three to four hours. Mm. That's very hard to do because babies deal. are loud yeah. and they don't stay still. So you can't just like pop them in the corner at your office, right? So it's like, well, who's bringing in there? Am I going to the baby? Is a baby coming to me? Are we going to stop the meeting? What if baby's sleeping when I scheduled a break for my team? So it's just like a whole another layer of logistics on top of what's already like a huge, like eight month logistical execution plan on launching a book. Right. So I've just, I mean, I'm very, very proud of myself and of my team, like, <laughs> like my domestic team, just like my husband and my mom. And then also my Ziva team, like everyone's really worked together really, really beautifully. But it's hard. I would think it would be quite easy to go in those situations to kind of fall back on like, well, I should just focus on this, you know, I'm making a child. I should just focus, I should postpone the book. Like what was the driving force for you to keep on doing everything you're doing? It was just that the date was... Um, already set like before I got pregnant like oh, right. contract was done pub date was set um you know date that the manuscript was due all that stuff was already set and I did get my publishers to push back pub date by one month so I had one month extra yeah to deal with that like postpartum did you have any like breakdown moments throughout that time frame yeah my my first two months after having the baby were the I'm gonna go into the worst of my whole life Whoa. it was really brutal like postpartum was brutal and I think I had a, uh, a string of physical challenges that maybe not everyone has I mean I think anytime you have a baby like it's a thing right you've got a your identity is changing your body is changing you're not sleeping like it's hard for anyone uh, but in this particular case I had a great pregnancy easy peasy but I had a four-day back labor uh, which went into like uh, Jasper had jaundice uh, which means they had too much Billy Rubin in his body and the only way to clear that is by nursing but I wasn't making enough milk and so there wasn't enough milk to like clear the Billy Rubin and then he had a tongue tie which mm. means that his tongue is not long enough to nurse which yeah. means they just like bite on your nipples and make blisters you get out there with a fingernail that's with old school style is that what they would Travel cut it style. with their fingernails you got a long fingernail and the duels would go in and you a little 
Yeah, well, we snip. got it lasered. Like, so we yeah. went to, to the like pediatric dentist and lasered it. And it went for six weeks, though. I, I saw four lactation consultants and they all said, no, he doesn't have a tongue tie. And so I was like, why does this hurt so bad? Like, I do not believe that every person who has nursed in the history of ever has gone through this level of excruciating pain. I mean, it was like blood curling, screaming pain. Mm. And it is, it's like... <laughs> glass on top of blisters on top of fire and if you don't do that every three hours then your child dies <laughs> and you're just like what and you're so tired and then um <laughs> and then finally we got it lasered and then like five minutes later i nursed in the lobby and it was fine and then i think my milk also wasn't coming in because i was so stressed you know, like the cortisol was keeping the you need dopamine and oxytocin to make the prolactin come in to make your body release milk and so anyway i just got behind and oh and then i also took this drug which I'm like not really into drugs, but I took this drug to make my milk come in, which made me gain 30 pounds Damn. after I had the baby. You're like not a big person either. I'm not. Well, this 30 is 30 pounds in like Aaron pounds is like probably 75 pounds. <laughs> yeah, it was, it felt like a lot. Like I was like, this doesn't look like me, but anyway. Uh, and, and that was one thing that I felt myself slipping back into. Like finally when I cared about my body again, which is probably like three or four months later, uh, I was like, Oh, I've never had to really, Mm, that's not true. I just didn't want to like slip back into my old like dancer model mental mentality about my body. I didn't want to go into like that uh, like math equation mm -hmm. that I feel like a lot of people are in. Like, oh, well, I've been good today, so I can have this, or I've been bad today, so I I don't I don't like a punish and reward system with food. Yeah. And I used to kind of be in that when I was in my early twenties, just from dancing and modeling and whatever. And so I just, I wanted to really practice what I preach and just, uh, let things shed. And actually my friend, Sarah Ann Stewart, who's amazing, who lives here in LA, you should have her on the show. Mm. She's coming out with a book soon. Uh, she really helped me to get into the headspace that I wanted to be in and do it in a way that was kind and conscious and loving to myself. What did that look like? Uh, just sort of visualizing the feeling, how I felt when I felt strongest and happiest in my body, right. trusting that my body knows exactly what it's doing, thanking my body for like creating life for this child. And instead of like, you know, the mean, we're mean to ourselves oftentimes when we look in the mirror and like trying to fix and judge. And so it was just getting out of that. And she was like, no scales. And then also, um, like food journaling, but more like feeling journaling. Like how are you feeling when you're eating the food before and after cool. um, versus like, you know, all the, cause I know how to eat. Like, you know, I've been studying Ayurveda for seven years. Like I know what I should and should not be eating. I know my body type. I'm, so it wasn't a question of, although there was, I do have this one life coach and she was basically like, you're fat. And I was like, okay, easy. <laughs> Six months after I'd had a baby. And, um, but she's, and she's, she goes, what are you eating? And I was like, well, I have a smoothie in the morning. She goes, what's in that smoothie? <laughs> and I did like kind of think back and I was like, well, this was the smoothie I was drinking when I was pregnant to like grow a You're human. Pregnant smoothie, right? I was on the pregnant yeah, smoothie. The two person smoothie. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I had to switch it to the one person <laughs> smoothie. <laughs> the one person smoothie. That was good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm always curious, like, when we are in those darker places, because I think it's it's easy to feel, like, the meditation, like, we imagine, like, it's, like, the perfect world when you do that, but I think it's just so interesting how we back, how we bounce back from the places that we think are, you know, are really, really dark. I, I like the idea of focusing on the sensation that you want, 
You know, I was talking to this sexological body worker, sex therapist person last Who's night that? at the grocery store. Of course um, you are. It's L.A. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. Uh, but that was one of the things that she was talking about that I thought was so cool was with your partner, as opposed to thinking about like the perfect partner and all that stuff, focusing your energy on on the sensation and like like how do you want to feel with that person, mm. you know, and really actually feeling those 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 sensations in yourself right now like creating that anchoring yourself to that that state kind of raising your vibration to you know connect that to so when you actually do have that experience it's kind of like you're already set up for it yeah that's p.s the whole key to manifesting oh good it's you getting into the feeling space as if the dream is happening now Mm. instead of worshiping the space between where you are and where you think you should be which is the definition of stress you instead get yourself to the feeling space as if the dream is happening right now yeah but i think People might, and manifesting is kind of like one of those like charge, trigger, fluffy words, but that's okay. Um, I think a lot of people perhaps maybe manifest in such a way that it's more about the material thing as opposed to the sensation that one would feel. I think that the old school way of manifesting, and by old school, I mean like 90s, like when The Secret came out, which was, you know, thank you to all of those teachers. Thank you to that movie, because it really is the thing that introduced this idea that thoughts become things, that we do have some agency over what we're creating in our world and in our lives. But it was like it sold hundreds of millions of copies and they did that because they preyed upon people's I'll be happy when syndrome. Yeah. You know, right. I'll be happy once I get the Ferrari. I'll be happy once I get the girl. Yeah. But it's, that's like kindergarten level. Right. And so we have to sort of meet people where they are, which is very much what my book does. It's like wrapping the powerful medicine that is meditation in the candy coating of like, it's going to make you more money and help you have better sex just so that we can meet people where they are. And by people, I mean, mainstream pragmatic, America. Um, but it's, it's never about the thing. It's never about the Ferrari or the girl Mm -mm. or the lost weight. It's always about the feeling we assume we'll have once we get those things. And I'm, we just, so one thing that was a challenge that I very much wanted to make the New York times list with this book. We didn't. And so I was like sad about it for a couple of days. And then I was like, Emily, stop being a brat. Like you never wrote this book to be on the New York Times. That was not the point of writing the book. The point of writing the book is to make these tools accessible and to get you know millions of people using these tools. Yeah. And the amount of response and reactions and you know opportunities that it's led to and the wider audience that now has access to this stuff, like it's happening, right? And so it's about celebrating that instead of. But, but I don't think I would have worked as hard or been as diligent or been as organized or hustled in the way that I did had I not had that specific goal. Yeah. But it's never about the goal. Yeah. Yeah. What's, um, what about the sex part? What about the sex part? With, so how does one, it feels to me, and this is talking to another sex therapist, that meditation is kind of like steroids for sex. It's like, <laughs> a, really, it's like a really important aspect of it. So you can be practicing sex throughout the day. You know, but we have all this pressure of like, oh God, like it's happening, especially Mm. I think for, well, for both, maybe it's different types of excitation for men and women. Mm. Um, So how does, what's the effect of meditation with sex? Well, the trick here is that when we're stressed, which most people are, most people, even people who don't identify as being stressed, if you're 
um, a human being on the planet Earth right now. You're eating food that isn't food. You're have you have light that isn't light. You're staring into light boxes all day. You you eat, microwave your food and eat mangoes in the winter time. Like all these little tiny cuts that are not in accordance with nature ultimately is creating demand on the body and it's causing us to adapt. Mm. Right? It's burning up what we call adaptation energy. And most of us are you know have kids and parents and traffic and like just this low grade chronic fight or flight stress thing. And when we're in fight or flight, the body and brain are preparing for a tiger attack, right? So digestion floods with acid to shut down digestion because you need all of your energy to prepare for that tiger. Your bladder and bowels evacuate so you can be light on your feet, which is not super sexy. Your skin gets acidic um, so that you don't taste very good if that tiger bites into you, which is what prematurely ages us. Um, Your immune system goes to the back burner because who cares if you're going to get cancer if you're about to be killed by a tiger. Would that taste part affect a sexual partner? Like, do you would you potentially? I think that's what it's what BO is. It's that acid that gets released on oh, your yeah, skin. Oh yeah, nervous BO is the worst. Yeah, I don't need deodorant at all until I'm until I'm in a situation like that. I'm I'm anxious at all, and then yeah. it's like it's terrible, and then it, it's the worst because you're already anxious and nervous, and now you smell like <laughs> a big sweaty animal about the and now I'm smelliness. A double bind. It's not good. Yeah, it's not great. Double uh, arrow. Double. Um, so thank you for knowing that. Um, so it's this series of chemical reactions that's designed to make you not attractive to tigers Mm. and it's also designed to keep your meat suit alive but if you're in fight or flight mode the last thing your body's interested in is procreation Mm. also the last thing your body is interested in is pleasure like all of your senses dampen when you're in fight or flight because who wants to feel the fangs of a tiger biting into you you get numb right shock numbness you do get shot up with a bunch of opiates when the tiger bites you though and you get pretty high in that moment yeah because the adrenaline Mm. yeah it's like a strange it's like this interesting thing that god did or whoever did in, in a kind of a uh, it's like a, a nice gesture a nice gift a little little nature's pain you get blasted production. yeah you go into like this psychedelic trip from what i you know whatever that's what i've read but that would be like a natural like anesthesia of sorts right yeah, it, take, it disassociates you right and yeah. so but you don't want to be disassociated no. when you're having sex <laughs> you know you don't want to be like numb when you're having sex but yeah. a lot of people are and interestingly if men have too much adrenaline when they're having sex it become they become physically incapable of erection when women have too much cortisol, they become physically incapable of orgasm. And so this is not just like, oh, if we meditate, we'll see each other's chakras. It's like, no, if you're too stressed, you can't orgasm. Mm. So it's like, and most people, and actually there's two case studies in my book, one of a woman who had never had a vaginal orgasm, like exclusively vaginal orgasm until she learned to meditate. And then like two weeks later, she was having sex with her boyfriend and was like, whoa, this is a surprise. And she said her boyfriend felt really great about himself. And she's like, I knew what it was, but I didn't tell him. Uh, And then there was another one who had her very first orgasm ever after learning to meditate. And then there's some case studies about like fertility, which is a little bit hand in hand because if you're stressed all the time, again, body's not interested in procreation. So the body becomes acidic, which is not a very hospitable host for a baby. Hmm. What do you think the reason that we in Western culture tend to have issues with orgasm for women is compared to like a, like an Africa or a place that's perhaps there's not as much like sexual taboo and as much kind of like friction around sexuality. I think maybe I'm answering, you know, at least why I think it is, but well, I think it depends on where in Africa, <laughs> because there's a lot of countries that are, you know, doing like female oh, genital mutilation. But in some places, <laughs> I think you could look at many other cultures that are less taboo about 
sex, but it's a decidedly mental game, especially for women. And so if you think of, you know, there's a whole lot of slut shaming going on. There's a whole lot of sexual trauma. I mean, especially now that Me Too has come into the zeitgeist, we're starting to realize just how much sexual trauma and sexual abuse has happened. I think it's like one in four women. And so if you have trauma around it, it's much than every time you're engaging in it, it can be like a PTSD or it can be sort of like reopening old wounds. And so if we don't heal that stuff, then you're never going to be fully, fully present. And that's what I love about this meditation thing is that, and actually there's another case study in the book of someone who had had sexual trauma and then through the meditation, like a couple years of it started to heal it and then started enjoying sex. That was the woman who had her first orgasm was she felt like it was healing the trauma from the past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you done a uh, Vipassana? Mm-hmm. So in that, um, Gwenka, he talks about it, it being like a, like a psychological surgery and if you get out of the way of yourself for enough time, like your body knows how to heal. Mm-hmm. We're just too kind of hard headed and we keep driving forth and form rollers and therapists and doing like we keep doing, doing, doing. But from the perspective of that slash a lot of other things, it's like if you just get the heck out of the way, you your internal biology, it knows what to do. We yeah. just keep packing on these new layers. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Give you if you go to the doctor and you're sick, what are they going to tell you to do? sleep right. rest if it's Body. a good doctor yeah. i don't know <laughs> yeah or should be like take these pills yeah but they get Call some kickbacks in, yeah, on that right exactly but you know they they will usually say rest as well like in addition to the pills and mm. it's like if you give the body the rest that it needs it does know how to heal itself where that's tricky is that just being like i was saying earlier like a human being on planet earth right now and certainly in america like being in traffic looking at iPhones eating food that isn't food drinking coca cola you know eating chick-fil-a like this stuff, the gluten, the glyphosate, like it's just, it's very hard to live in accordance with nature in our modern day society. And I think that's what you're saying. of just like packing it on, packing it on. Yeah. So if you were to do nothing in this modern American situation, it, it is in fact a bit of packing on. Mm. It reminds me, this is probably like a, an immature analogy, but I, th- I like <laughs> it. Like the, like with your, your iPhone or whatever kind of phone you use that they have the apps and then you have usually for most people, if you're like me, you have like six thousand little app things. And you go, it just like takes you days to swipe them up. Like go you're like, just away. Turn the phone off. Why does my phone lose batteries within like thirty minutes? It just turns off. That's like the brain, right? Yes, that's exactly right. Yes. <laughs> so by the time the average adult is twenty years old, we have ten million of those open apps on our brain machine. Damn. 10 million. They're called premature cognitive commitments. Premature. This is back to the sex talk. I wonder, because <laughs> I think that relates to if you're stressed out, I think it affects the premature thing too. Anyways, mm. I dealt with that for several years. There's a real problem. What changed? I don't know. I stopped having sex for a while. I had like a like a, like a a break period and then came back and I think I matured or something. I, I have no idea. Mm. Um, but I think just being, yeah, I was stressed out about that, like it, the 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 act of having sex was stressing me out because I was like, oh God, like I can't control it. And then that would, that exacerbated it. It was a real issue. Anyways, mm-hmm. sorry, interrupted. No, but like, so if that was stressing you out, that would have left a little open window on your brain machine, uh, like, like an open app on your, on your brain phone. Right. Right. And so if you have too many of them and you're not actively using them, then you, you don't have as much computing power for the task at hand. So mm-hmm. imagine you're at work typing an email and then you take a break. You're like, let me open up YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Hulu, Vine. And if you were to open up 10 million of those windows and then your boss walks by and you're like, oh, maybe I should get back to work. And you start typing an email and then the cursor is 20 spaces behind and you're like, oh. 
oh, stupid computer can't even type an email. Right. It's like, well, that computer is plenty capable of typing an email, but not if you're wasting all of its computing power running all those 10 million open windows. And that's ultimately why meditation can improve your performance because it's not, you're going in and closing down all those windows that we've been minimized. You know, so it's like they're not actively open. They're there, but then we've minimized them so that we can survive. And then what meditation does is it goes in and it maximizes them so we can click X and get them out of the body. Mm. And what a lot of people are not talking about is in the first few days and weeks of starting a meditation practice that, uh, that I would say is worth its salt, there's usually a period of physical and emotional detox that happens. And that's the opening of those windows so that we can close out of them. And that people can get tired, angry, sad, Mm, their skin sometimes gets itchy. They go to the bathroom a ton. They sometimes have insomnia, they have nightmares. And, and that's a big part of my job is helping people through that detoxification phase. Oh, that's all. And that's all the, the Gwenka that they call them some scatters. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you have that experience with yourself? With, with Vipassana? Yeah, with, yeah. Or with anything, any, any form of meditation. Yeah, so when I was doing my teacher training for this, I was meditating like 18 hours a week, and it was not a joke. That's when I was saying I was like uh, going, like mourning the loss of my identity of being an actress and like taking on this new identity. It was all so, so sad. Yeah. Um, but then in Vipassana, <laughs> I remember like up until about day five and a half, I was like, well, the first three days I was like trying my best to just not be in pain. So for anybody who doesn't know, like Vipassana is like 10 day silent meditation retreat. You're meditating 10 hours a day, no real cushions, no back support. It's like excruciating physical pain. You didn't have cushions? I mean, we had like the teeny tiny little cushions that turn oh, into wow. non cushions. Oh man. I had a soft Vipassana. Oh, mine, <laughs> mine was in India. I was in like, I was in this oh. outdoor, like freezing cold, loud place in Southern India. Oh, it was wow. crazy. Well, good. Um, but I was, so like for like the first 45 minutes, I'd be like, I'm great. I'm a pro. I'm a meditation teacher. And the minute 46, I'd be like, certainly I'll have to amputate my legs. <laughs> certainly I'll never walk again. Yeah, and that's then what you, think. you just sit in that for nine more hours. And so by day like five, there was also a guy there who was supposed to be helping, but he was really, really sick. And so about every 10 to 14 seconds, he'd be like... <laughs> And he was just like <laughs> snotting and sniffling. And by day five and a half, I was like just, like just imagining all the ways I wanted to murder him. And I was yeah, like, and that was the day he do. was like, every time you have a negative thought, it plants a seed, which grows a tree that grows a fruit, like a million more negative thoughts. And like, basically I was like, I'm going to die in rotten hell. Yeah. <laughs> it was awful. I had a guy with the, this, the faintest little nose sniffle. It was just a little whistle that would go through. Uh -huh. and it was the same thing. I was just thinking of murderous thoughts. Yeah. It's terrible yeah. how that happens. But then by day <laughs> six, I sort of got over. I didn't get over, but I stopped, I did the thing where you stop avoiding the pain. You stop chasing the pleasure. Uh, and then everything opens up. Everything changes. And then I was like, oh, I get it. If you can, if you can manage to stop avoiding pain and chasing pleasure in your life, you become a master of anything. That's like the roomy, the cure for the pain is in the pain. Ugh, I've never heard that quote. Why is he so effing smart? He's good. Why? <laughs> like, what was that guy smoking? I'm not sure. He was good. Probably some good stuff. The Do cure you for the pain is in the pain? Yeah, that's right. And, and like, it's a haiku. <laughs> I'm stealing that and putting it in every one of my yeah, courses. I'm mad it's not yeah, in my book. Yeah, yeah, it's going in my book. Great. <laughs> Damn it. Sorry, I'll look through yours and see if there's any standouts. I've been, that's been a fun thing. I feel like I'm, I'm like infringing on people's books because they'll take quotes from other people. I'm like, no, I can do that. It's quotes. Yeah. So that's, that's great. That's, yeah. That's the way, um, we probably have to wrap this piece up. We didn't have a lot of, a lot of time. What's our, what's our timeline? We got like five more minutes. Five minutes. 
All right. So when you, was there any specific pain points that you, did you have any definition for the pain that you were experiencing during your extended sits that was like actually tied like this physical hip pain relates to this emotional thing? Or is it just like a bunch of muck that kind of comes out of your body and it's awkward as it comes out? Uh, no, it didn't, it didn't feel, I wasn't attaching or assigning any physical pain to any emotional pain. It was just actually the physical pain. I just wanted to get out of it. Do you think that all of that has some association to some type of mental, emotional something, or is there a separation? I think that chronic stuff usually is tied to some sort of an emotional or event or way of thinking, uh, or sometimes a, an actual acute injury, you know, but I think that in that particular case for me, it was just the pain of sitting still. Mm. I could be wrong about that, but it didn't feel like, oh, you know, it didn't feel like a Louise Hay, like, oh, my hip is hurting, so I'm very afraid of my future. It just <laughs> felt like the pain of sitting still. <laughs> That's how they describe it in there, though. They say that your urge to, to, to leave those pain signals is your body, these emotional kind of like parasites, you could call them maybe, are kind of pushing you to run away, is what they describe to me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm still just in question of what the hell pain is in the first place. Mm. Well, I think pain is the body communicating something to your brain. I think any pain has a positive intention. It's saying, listen, change, notice. Mm. And if we don't listen, then it starts yelling. And if we don't listen to that, it starts screaming. And if we don't listen to that, it starts wrecking the house. Mm. And I think that the point of this type of pain, the whole reason why it's an effective exercise, is that it's pain that is not dangerous. And it's the same thing with childbirth. It's the same thing with like ice baths, right? We are like, it's, it's uncomfortable, but I'm not in danger. And if you can override that fight or flight thing, right? Which is basically what that, all the pain practices are teaching you how to do is to override the fight or flight, cold showers, like everything in you wants to get out. And if you can override that, then you, again, you become a master of almost anything in your life. You override the, the urge to have a cookie. You override the urge to smoke some crack. You, over- <laughs> you know, like just kick that crack out a couple weeks ago. For me, it's always ago. either cookie or crack. <laughs> I just like alliteration <laughs> as well. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, another, another thing, uh, I don't know, somebody said on this podcast actually, is it was hard decisions now, easy decisions later. Mm. And that's like there was a, a study with, with rats, rat pups, little baby rats. They put them in these ice baths. And what they found was that if they did that with the baby pups, then throughout, as it became older, they were much better with uh, handling stress. Mm. So when they go through stressful situations, they wouldn't have these huge like cortisol spikes and this whole mm. big stress response. They were like, it's cool. I've yeah. exposed myself to that. Yeah. But our whole model of Western culture is based around reducing stressors. Comfort. You know, and then eventually it leads into this like big crash type mm-hmm. situation. It's fucked up, man. It's like the marshmallow <laughs> thing where they taught the kids to have delayed gratification. Like the kids who could not eat the marshmallow. Right. Yeah. Like they were infinitely more successful. Do you think you could have delayed? Because you would probably come up now. You would be the model of the of the delayed gratification person, I would think. You'd fit in that category, it seems. Mm. I think my thing now is that I like to just listen to my gut. I like to follow charm, as you will. Mm. Um, because follow your bliss. Joe Campbell. Yeah. Follow charm. Yeah, follow charm, which is basically like listening to that still small voice inside. And if the still small voice says, you know, eat the marshmallow, then I might eat the marshmallow. The trick there is that if you don't have a daily meditation practice and you're still addicted to a lot of stuff, yeah. and if which means anything external that you think will bring you happiness is an addiction, <laughs> really. Um, and so 
then it's dangerous to follow charm because if you're a heroin addict you're like oh i want some more heroin please if you're a workaholic you think oh i need more work but if you start to find your own bliss and fulfillment in the only place that they reside which is inside of you then you become less addicted to the external stuff. You become less under the illusion that any person, place, or thing will bring you your fulfillment. And so then it becomes easier to trust an intuitive desire versus an addictive longing. Feels almost like perhaps those little app window things on the screen, it's almost like they have, they feel as though they have like a life and they don't want to die. And so it's, if you can do the work to kind of drop those off, then you can actually have truth to what you're, you're feeling and in, in the directions that you're being pulled. Mm -hmm. But as long as you have those, you'll have all these kind of um, like malaligned urges to eat shit and all that stuff. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, just Oh, you mean like shitty food, not shitty actual food. shit. Yeah. yeah. Cause that's the thing. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's like, just follow, you know, follow your bliss, man. Like follow what's, it's like, but I think most of us are so stirred up. It's like what we want is just, you know, a bunch of sugar and yeah, crack. Wine and Netflix <laughs> <laughs> crack. <laughs> you started it. I did. But, we, but I think that's an interesting thing. We'll really wrap up here in the very next soon. But I think that's an interesting thing is actually coming down and defining or re recognizing what is like my actual truth truth. You know, what is that inner voice that's that's actually leading me into the, into the best direction? And then what is just like the, the parasites that are kind of trying to feed themselves? Yeah. So here's the trick. Meditation, I have found, is so powerful at turning down the volume on the critical mind and turning up the volume on the intuitive voice. And it's very hard to hear intuition when your critical mind is screaming at you. When it's right. like, you suck, you suck, you're going to die alone with cats eating your face. Very hard to hear that little like, hey, write that book. That guy. Yeah. Right. And so it's and it's not that either one is bad. It's not bad for you to have a critical mind. It's not bad for those parasites to want to stay alive. It's just when they're the ones running the show is when we get into trouble. Yeah. And it feels like that inner voice, that inner truth thing gets louder as you start to shut those things down. Like you can actually start to trust it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's pretty good. Um, all right. We are in this beautiful room. We're supposed know, to. What we is this? About this How place. do we? What is this place? It looks like we're in this like Willy Wonka, like black and white, <laughs> sort of trippy, psychedelic, amazing. It's supposed. Yeah, it's called the is, most Instagrammable loft we're in, the in most Los Angeles. Instagrammable loft in Los Angeles. It's called Angeles. the Line Loft. The Line Lofts. Yeah, there we go. It's we, pretty rad. It is very fascinating. Yeah, we'll have a video of this one so people can see it. Yeah, they need to see very, it. It's a very exciting experience. All right. Um, I think you're great. I really appreciate you. I think you're great. <laughs> I appreciate you. Thank you for flying me. <laughs> I flew you. Yeah, that was good. We did acro yoga and uh, other things. It was Feeling fun. so much better. Good. Cool. All right. Well, um, good luck with all of your future things. I'm sure there'll be nothing but but uh, amazing things because you're. I think you're you're tapped into that voice thing. It seems. Mm. One thing when nature's pushing the shopping cart, it's easier for us to chill. That's an analogy I haven't talked nature's about. Nature's pushing the shopping cart. <laughs> yeah. So I think that like we humans, we try to control our lives, and we're like the little kid driving the plastic car on the front of the shopping cart, and like we think we're driving, right. and then you know, like the mom is like, "Look how cute my son thinks he's driving the shopping cart." And I think that's how God is with us humans like look how cute they think they're driving their lives oh that's good so it's like oh just let let nature and so when the, when we go a different direction the kid's like no but it's yeah. like no it's okay we're turning it's fine yeah <laughs> like we're gonna go get some vegetables we're not get gonna vegetables. get the twix all right cool we'll finish up on that thanks for listening over now oh wait <laughs> <laughs>
where do people find your stuff? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Normally, I my my thing is I thought that was it. We, Just we the line referenced laughs. the line laws. What about you? What about you? We said it once, but okay. So if you want to find me, there's lots of places. But the easiest is just zivameditation.com, and then I'm all over social media at zivameditation. And the book, which we've been talking about this whole time, is called Stress Less, Accomplish More: mm. Meditation for Extraordinary Performance. Wow. I'm really excited about it. You should be. All right, cool. Thanks for listening. Uh, over now. Pow. Thank you so much for tuning in that conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, we've got a couple things to help support that body of yours, one of which is the Align Band that people have been really loving, which I'm super grateful for. Um, it is a heavy-duty resistance band, comes along with a door anchor, traveling case, and then a online video guide on how to use that thing. It's my absolute go-to travel tool. I've got it hanging literally from my door right beside me now. Um, use it regularly. Use it with clients. Uh, it can be found at alignpodcast.com gear uh, on Amazon. And you can also find it at Line Band on Instagram. Um, also, we finally did it. We created the Align Method online program, which focuses on unwinding the patterns of staring into technology, essentially. So forward head posture, rolled forward shoulders, rolled forward spine, kind of like just that hunchy posture thing that um, modern world is is stricken by uh, gets into how to align your physical body. So self-care, joint by joint, from ankle to knee to hip to spine to head to neck, etc. Really good stuff. Also gets into lifestyle, um, gets into morning routines, nighttime routines, how to effectively handstand, how to move on the ground. Um, people have been loving that. Thank you all for grabbing it, the ones that have. And if people have any questions about that, you can reach out at Align Podcast on Instagram. I'm happy to support. All right. Thank you, guys. Enjoy your day. Thanks for doing you. Thanks for telling your friends. Thanks for reviews on iTunes. That's it. Pow. <laughs>